This is Seattle Sports Diaries Podcast. Now, here is your host, Mike, and the rest of the SSD gang. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to a brand spanking new episode of Seattle Sports Diaries. And before we begin, let me let's go ahead and get a share screen in here because we need to uh, put plug in that Mariner game real quickly. And uh, yeah, there you go. So uh, by the way, or that might actually be a little bit big. So let's stop sharing it. Let's stop. But uh, so uh, welcome to, again to another episode of Seattle Sports Diaries podcast. This is episode number eighty-seven. I think it's 87. Let me see. I need to make sure it's actually 87 because I need I, I need to start keeping track because, okay, it is. It is 87. So I was officially correctly on that. Lucky for me, my math skills are not that or not that great, but lucky for me, I actually was able to get that correctly. But but um, uh, normally, uh, so this week we were going to have Riley come back on the podcast and we were going to talk some, uh, some football and all that stuff. But uh, unfortunately, there's nothing really to talk about. So uh, I decided to, uh, you know, here's the thing. We, we need to talk some football. But, we, but it's a league that a lot of people don't really, uh, aren't paying really much attention to right now because it's, um, it gets kicked off next, uh, next year. So uh, uh, without further ado, I'd like to welcome uh, our guests here, uh, columnist for Pro Wrestling Torch and XFL Board, uh, Greg Parks. Greg, what's going on, brother? Hey, good to see you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, no problem, man. No problem. Welcome to the uh, Seattle Sports Diaries uh, podcast. And uh, I got a question for you, man. What do you think of our background? Do you think is it, is it like looking at Seattle on acid? <laughs> I like it. It's kind of trippy. <laughs> um, we've had a lot of people say that it looks like we, it looks like they're on acid. That we're on acid. So let me get, let me go ahead and real quickly. I want to make sure I I want to change this real quick. I want to try that share screen again. That way we can all uh enjoy this uh baseball games hopefully the mariners are going well but uh we we got to keep our eyes on that all right so we got it up there but uh as you can see we're we're on streamies so we checking everything but right now the mariners are in trouble right now the mariners uh got uh nobody uh out or they got one out right or no they got two outs right now so robbie ray's got two outs but anyway uh let's get to the football talk and uh, big thing about uh, here in 2023 is the XFL is coming back, which I think a lot of people should be excited for. Um, because I, I, I want to go. And by the way, uh, Greg is out there in Naples. My dad is out there in Naples. So I want to give uh, kind of Naples a shout out real quick. But um, uh, th this is something that I kind of wanted to talk about because I, I don't think Riley um, and I have really covered this that well. But uh the USFL, mm -hmm. USFL is a joke. I, I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and put it out there. The, I, I think the USFL is perhaps the, I, I want to say like kind of like the biggest scam that football is out there because whether, you know, here's the thing. It does, uh, oh, hold on a sec. Let me, uh, there we go. I had to change my mic settings. I don't know why my mic is doing that. But, uh, no, so uh, 
yeah, you know, the USFL is basically a minor league version of the of the NFL, but it, it but it's just not getting. Um, it may be on TV. There's no fans going to this game. But when it comes to the XFL, like look at look at if you compare the USFL to the XFL, the XFL just absolutely blows it out of the water because when it came to attendance, when it came to viewership, the XFL won. And and, and you know, so I'm starting to think that here come in 2023, we're going to have a new minor league system for the NFL, and it is going to be the XFL. But I mean, what is it about the USFL? That, that that people just cannot take seriously. Well, I think the big thing is what you said about the lack of fans in the stands. And that's by design, right? They, they're doing a hub model in Birmingham. So really the only people who are coming out to those games are coming out to the Birmingham games, the, the Birmingham team. Um, when you've got, you know, Philadelphia and Houston playing in week five in Birmingham, there's not a lot of interest in that. And so you're not going to have many fans in the stands. And right or wrong, the people who are flipping channels and maybe thinking of checking out the USFL are going to watch the game. They might see some decent football, but they're going to see empty stadiums. And they might not realize that the USFL is playing in a hub to save money so that they can see season two, which not a lot of spring football leagues have seen, unfortunately. And they might just say, wow, this is not a very popular league. And they're going to ditch you know they're not going to stick around and watch it so i was very critical of the usfl for doing the hub model for that reason uh, perception is reality and if people perceive that your product is not hot is not something that people are interested in uh, that's going to be the reality and when the xfl recently had floated the idea at least behind the scenes according to reports that they were thinking about doing a hub model based in in texas and dallas perhaps uh, i was very critical of that um and so it seems like they've gotten away from that now, and um, they're going to be the first spring football league between the XFL and the USFL. The XFL will be the first ones, presumably, that no announcements have been made yet, but it seems to be trending in that direction, uh, to have fans in the stands each and every week at these home stadiums rather than playing in a hub. And I think that's going to be a huge advantage visually for the XFL and for perception over the USFL next year. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I was at the first ever home game for the, XFL, okay. for the Seattle Dragons, and I'm not going to lie. So the, the, there, there is a big difference between the XFL and the NFL, of course. I mean, mm-hmm. the, I mean, the XFL is, you know, when it first out, when it first began, um, it was, you know, it, it was just, it was just a publicity stunt by the, by the, uh, you know, the WWE, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and I'm not gonna lie, but this this new XFL was absolutely incredible. It was exciting football. It was really, um, it was fun to watch. And yeah. you know, um, unfo- unfortunately, you know, the COVID when COVID hit, it it took away everything that the XFL tried to work hard to do. And it yeah. was and it was doing it so well because everybody was everybody was paying attention to it every week. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, there was a lot of, I, I know a couple of the Dragons, by the way. I know a couple of the former players on the Dragons and really great guys, really great people. Um, and they were, and, you know, I was, I was chatting with them, you know, every week. And I'm like, is there going to be an, is there going to be a quarterback change? Is there going to be a quarterback change? Because a lot of people here in Seattle, we were, we had the, t- we had the duo of Brandon Silvers versus BJ, BJ Daniel. Mm-hmm. And, 
if everybody wants, and I'm not going to lie, B.J. Daniels was the better quarterback. B.J. Daniels sure. is definitely the better quarterback in this situation. Um, but, you know, people were also complaining about about, about how saying, oh, that you know, there's 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 no quarterbacks in this league. Well, well of course there's not going to be any quarterbacks in this league because it's, it, 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 it's a league that is was specifically designed for guys who can't make it into the NFL who can actually get a chance to play and still make a living. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you saw guys like uh, PJ Walker, you know, playing, he was absolutely dominating that league. And, you know, I love the fact that the, the, that the XFL, they're still going to be doing the same thing as what they did in 2020, which is a 10 week season. And I think a three week playoff season or a four week playoff season, which is, uh, very smart because by the end of the XFL season, baseball season will begin and they're not going to be and MLB and the XFL are not going to be battling for ratings. So that's a good look on the XFL. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another good thing about it is that, you know, just the other day, uh, the XFL announced that they were now partnering with both Disney plus and ESPN. That's a huge deal for the XFL. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, the other good thing about the schedule is, uh, the the season will end right around the time NFL training camps will start. So it gives players an opportunity to go right from the XFL and get signed into NFL training camps. It's not too late. And I think that's one of the big criticisms of the USFL is their season starts later than what the XFL will start next year in February. And by starting later, training camps will have already started and, and they would have gone through all the OTAs and all that kind of stuff. So it makes it more difficult for the players in the USFL to really – get that door into uh, NFL training camps this season. Uh, but as far as the, the ESPN deal goes, that's big. And, and I think that's where a lot of people were expecting the XFL to end up uh, on, on the ABC Disney family of networks. And uh, it really had to. Um, with Fox and NBC out of the picture, they're hosting USFL games. If the XFL really wanted to make a big splash and really wanted to be in the conversation um, – they needed to be on on ABC and ESPN, so it's good for them that they were able to get that. And uh, you know they're going to be on FX as well, which a lot of people don't realize is owned by Disney now. Um, but yeah, that that was probably the most positive news that has come out of the XFL since the new ownership took over. Yeah, and and let's go ahead and talk about that new ownership group because again, we get to have uh, the Rock as the president, which mm-hmm. I feel like. That's a big, that is such a huge, huge thing for the XFL because, you know, The Rock, uh, formerly with the University of Miami, he played there, uh, tried to, he wanted to actually have a professional football career, yeah. did not get it. And uh, he wanted to, uh, when the XFL originally started, from what I heard, he wanted to compete in there, but the WWE did not allow him to. So you can understand fact, why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can definitely understand why. I mean, The Rock was definitely the superstar of the WWE at that point. Yeah. But um, no, this is just a. I, I feel like you know when the when it was announced that the, that the XFL was coming back, it, it was gigantic because, um, you know during just that what was it I think five or six weeks that we had the the XFL, yep. you know, for the first two weeks people weren't really watching it, but by the third week people were watching this, and you know the fan bases in there were amazing especially i think the 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 three best fan bases that i that i saw in this xfl for this xfl season was um i don't mean to sound biased but was seattle st louis and uh and dc 
Mm-hmm. Because the DC, I'm not going to lie, the DC Guardians, I, I think that's what they were. Or, defenders. Or the Defenders, there we yep. go. Um, you know, first of all, making that long beer snake, I mean, that's <laughs> incredible. And not to mention, you know, look, Seattle's a great football city. I mean, mm-hmm. they've always had great fans, and they well, and they welcomed in this new uh, team by putting, I think, over 27,000, almost 30,000 fans yeah. in just the first game of the season. But also... I mean, I need to give a huge shout out to those people out in uh, St. Louis because they're look. The fact that the Rams got stolen from them, I know how that feels. I mean, I I'm, I'm a Sonics fan. We need to Sonics need to be brought back to Seattle, and it's just ridiculous that you know St. Louis had that happen to him because mm-hmm. you know now they missed out on the Super Bowl team, but um, definitely you know those three fan bases. I, I feel like I feel like those. Uh, the Dragons, the Battlehawks, and the Defenders are still going to be part of the XFL because I feel like those are the three teams that people or that the XFL was really paying attention to, uh, you know, during the during just that whole five six week stretch. But the question is, is what other cities are going to be getting XFL teams? Yeah. So uh, the conversation right now seems to be, and, and Mike Mitchell over at XFL News Hub has done a great job of sort of you know, getting some sources on this kind of stuff and, and putting this stuff out there. Uh, it looks like most of the cities will return. Uh, there was some reporting this That's week. That's great that, to hear. That yeah. Fantastic th- news. Th- th- there was some reporting this week that, that um, the dome in St. Louis had set aside five dates for next uh, spring, um, presumably for the battle Hawks. And um, there was another uh, a stadium that, um, or, or arena that had set aside some some dates as well, um, but it sounds like all but Tampa, New York, and Los Angeles will return, and those were the three teams that struggled the most in terms of live attendance. And it looks like we could be having new teams in Orlando, so you can kind of see that the Tampa move to Orlando, keeping a team in Florida, mm-hmm. uh, San Antonio, which back in the Alliance of American Football uh, in 2019 had a really strong attendance for that team. And then um, Las Vegas. So you can kind of see the L.A. move to Las Vegas, <laughs> keeping a team see, I, on the West how Coast. I, how did I know that you were actually going to say that Vegas was going to get an XFL team? I just <laughs> fucking – see, I, I fucking knew it. I had a feeling that, that goddamn Vegas was going to get another freaking team. That's the hot place right now, I guess. Uh, I mean, I guess. I mean, you got prostitutes there. You got betting. You got, I mean, you got everything there. I mean, everything except for a kid-friendly city. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe a different target audience. <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, like, just hearing the fact that, you know, all these cities are going to be getting these teams back is great. Um, the, I think the one city, though, that did, that really doesn't deserve um, an XFL team is definitely Tampa because I just don't think that they – the the attendance there was just not absolutely. I think they actually had the lowest attendance out of any of the uh, yeah of the XFL teams. And, and part of the problem was well, they were you know they had the worst record, so that that played a part in it. Um, but also, and it was the same situation that New York found was uh, playing in NFL stadiums and not being able to fill them. Uh, mm. that was, uh, aesthetically, that was a problem watching on TV and even the sound, you know, it, it's cavernous. So if there's only 10,000 people in a 60,000 seat stadium, it's not going to sound good either. I know Seattle, uh, the dragons played where the Seahawks play, but they were able to fill it and, and they did a really nice job with that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see kind of what stadiums they go into and see if they go for some of the smaller stadiums, 
uh, in the hopes of, of filling it and making it look good on television, because as we talked about with the USFL, that matters to, to people watching on TV. Definitely. Um, one one city that I know, or one team that I know that I think, like you said, is going to be coming back that I know that they're probably going to be able to fill the stadium is the, uh, uh, the Texas team, because, mm -hmm. um, you know, they were able to fill, a, you know, they, they completely turned the, the ballpark in Arlington. Ball, yeah. They turned the ballpark in Arlington into a football stadium, which... And that looked um, really cool. You know, I'm not going to lie. Look, I mean, the fact that they're not demolishing it and actually using it for now, high school games and other sporting events is, is absolutely perfect. You know, you're 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 not tearing down an old ballpark. Or, well, really, it's not really that old that old of a ballpark. It's it's what only like almost thirty years old, and um, you're still finding a way to to use it. And it, and it's actually great because, as we all remember, back in two thousand and two thousand one, you know, we had uh, Safeco Field had a thing called the Seattle Bowl. Where you turned a baseball field into a football field in just uh, for one for one day, mm -hmm. and but the ballpark in Arlington, you know, I've I've seen the the way they play there, and it's and it's a good stadium. It's a, it's a really good stadium. I'm really glad that they actually turned that stadium into uh, that type of uh, football atmosphere because I mean, again, you you have uh, two baseball stadiums, or you have one where one team plays, and then you have the other where uh, just like high school teams, sports, uh, concert. Uh, concerts can play and now uh, an XFL team can play. Mm -hmm. So the question is, is that with a lot of these teams, you know, staying where they are and coming back, is there possibilities that they're that, you know, they could possibly get also new places to play? Because I know for, for a fact that maybe, um, like you said, with Vegas possibly getting the team, they're, they're, they're probably going to be playing right there at Alliance Arena, uh, which, uh, you know, I don't, I don't blame them one bit for, you know, just using the same football field just to play in because, again, it, it's hot down there in Vegas. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't think they want to be playing out in the heat all the time. But, yeah. I mean, is is there any changes that we could see with the XFL when it comes to stadiums here uh, uh, in a year? You know, I think the stadiums for most of the teams uh, that will kind of survive in 2023, I think they were pretty decently sized. You had Audi Field in D.C. I think that was a really good size. You had the stadium in Arlington, which you mentioned for Dallas, was was decently sized. Houston um, playing at um, the college was, was good sized. You know, I think the only one that was, you know, big was, was Seattle, and they managed to fill it. So... It's also going to depend, I think, too, on, you know, availability is one. Um, how many dates can these uh, stadiums set aside for the XFL next year? But it's also going to depend on rent. And I'm sure the rent for these big stadiums in New York and Tampa, and even the, the rent for the stadium in L.A., which, while not big, it's in L.A. and everything's more expensive out there, uh, I, I'm, that may have played a part in why the XFL did not or will not return there if indeed that is the case in 2023. So the, the agreement that these stadiums can come to with XFL ownership is going to be important to decide where they play and, and ownership's going to want to make sure they get a good deal on, on some of these venues. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree 100%. I mean, um, you know, like you said, with Audi stadium, with the, with the DC, with the DC defenders, that was a great place for them to play. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because they really weren't expecting a lot of fans and the fact that they could uh, now. That, but but the question is now, can will they be moving into uh, the the Redskins slash uh, Commanders uh, stadium here soon? Because that's got to be an that's got to be a, on the on a lot of people's minds, uh, not just for not just for the D.C. team, but for also for other teams. But I mean, we already know that there's two stadiums right now 
that are basically secured for the XFL, and that's Lumen Field here in Seattle. Definitely the Dragons are going to play there because I know that the that Seattle is not going to want a football team to play anywhere else except there because of how loud it is. Mm-hmm. And as you know, um, there in St. Louis, they got the Dome. I mean, that, yeah. that stadium, is. I mean, it's secured. Mm-hmm. Those are the two stadiums that I feel like that are secured for uh, you know, not just those two XFL teams, but for any XFL teams. I mean, maybe Audi Stadium can play host to the to the defenders again, but I don't know with how much, with how well they did in attendance. I feel like they should be moving to a bigger stadium. Yeah, I think Houston TDECU Stadium is the other stadium that was reported this week as having set aside dates uh, for the XFL. So it, it sounds like Houston. Uh, whatever nickname they, they, they're going to go by in 2023, will be playing at the same stadium too. So, um, yeah, I, D.C. had good crowds. They were, they were into it, um, but they, they weren't the size of, you know, Seattle and, and St. Louis. So it, I think it really depends, again, on, on the XFL ownership and what kind of deal they can get on rent for a stadium. And, you know, it being the first year of their ownership, they're not going to want to break the bank. We don't know what the ESPN deal is paying the XFL, if any, to carry the games. So it, it all depends on how much the ownership wants to pay because it will no doubt be, be more expensive to play in a major stadium that seats more people. So they may decide to go a more cost-effective route. We, we just don't know. So um, that's going to be one of the interesting things to, to find out over the summer, I believe. Uh, the Rock posted on Instagram or, or someone said uh, this uh, that recently that the cities and teams will be revealed this summer. So we won't have to wait much longer, I don't think, to, to figure out what the teams are and where they're going to play. But um, that's going to be one of the more interesting things to look for in the next few months is, uh, first of all, you know, confirming that the cities that are being reported are indeed the cities they will play in, but also what locations within those cities they play. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. So I'm looking right now at the, the 2023 XFL season. So, um, uh, of course, the TV partnerships is ABC, ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN uh, Plus, FX, and, of course, as, again, Disney Plus, which is gigantic. Um, but the, uh, the thing about it is that this is an interesting question that I have because with how popular the XFL became in 2000, with how much uh, revenue was getting generated, with how much – uh, TV audiences was getting generated with how much the season was getting hyped up after I think I want to say I want to say right after the fourth week everybody was really excited about this uh, new league so there's I think talk of only eight teams going to be in the league mm-hmm. for uh, for the XFL season the top four get into the playoffs of course and uh, but uh, you know it's it's going to be interesting like if if the XFL was to have a fully, a full ten-week successful season, and they bring in the revenue like crazy. Could you imagine? <laughs> could you imagine expansion? Could you imagine like the league actually expanding from eight teams to sixteen teams in just a span of, uh, I want to say, two or four years? Well, that would be that would be big, um, and, and that would be a good indicator that it's it, the XFL is successful, right? Because if you're, if you're expanding, that means that there's more interest in more cities, there's interest in television partners carrying more games. Um, so that means the ratings are good. That means viewership is good. Um, and, and so that would be a good sign. I think jumping from eight to 16 
so soon might be a little too ambitious. Um, I think <laughs> if you go from eight to 10 or eight to 12, certainly you want to keep an even amount of teams um, with, with having um, uh, 10 weeks, you're not going to have a bye week for the teams. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think that's two to four years, I think is, is a, is a good timeline. And, you know, probably at year three, you're going to know for sure whether or not this is going to be, if you're the XFL ownership, if you're Redbird Capital and, and Danny Garcia and Dwayne Johnson, you're going to know for sure by year three, whether this is something that's going to keep going um, or whether it's, you're, you're kind of still holding on to your butts and trying to try to pay for things. So at that point, if you're no starting Samuel to talk, expansion, Jackson ref, right <laughs> <laughs> if you're, if you're starting to expand at that point, then I, I think that's a really good sign. And, um, you know, certainly where you expand to is going to be really interesting too. Um, it, it's, it's fun to talk about because <clears throat> if it happens, that means the XFL is successful. And I think that's what, um, any football fan, any fan of, of giving players a place to play and make a living and try to earn their way uh, into the NFL. Uh, I think that's a good thing for, for everybody. And here's another one that I wanted to get to you. So this is this is a big question that I um, I think me and uh, David, my first co-host, talked about here uh, a couple of years ago after the season got folded. But um, we were talking about this and could the XFL, if it is if it again if it if it generates the revenue and if it generates all the popularity that it did in 2000 and it gets even bigger could the could the XFL possibly be a minor league system for the NFL or is it just going to be that ground where you know football players who don't really have a job who don't really have a team to go to that's where they can go to to actually get um not just a playing experience, but they have a career steer. They can still have a career in the, uh, in the XFL. And another thing is, is that what is the pay going to look like? Because from what I, uh, one of the guys that I knew um, from the dragons, I'm not going to say who, because I don't really want to put his personal business out there, but he said that um, a lot of these guys got paid uh, between five and $7,000 a game. Um, or, or a couple of them only got paid a couple of that, but some of them didn't even make out with $3,000 a game. So, which is kind of a little bit, uh, upsetting, but, you know, I think the reason why they, they, they didn't get paid that much is because again, they didn't know this, this league would be successful. So the question is, is the pay going to get, can the pay get up in this XFL league? Can these, can these players make between a million dollars and like, uh, seven million dollars because I know I, I know there's not going to be there's not going to be a player in the XFL making between you know ten and twenty million dollars and especially not fifty million dollars like you're going to be making in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think at least not right away they won't be making that much. Um, you know, you have to remember this is a, a very short season by football standards. You know, mini camp probably starts November December and they're done by um, April May. So it is a short season and the pay is going to be commensurate to that. I think the only thing we know right now about the pay is that XFL leadership has met with agents and they've stated based on reporting that the pay will be more than what the USFL is paying players. Now, we don't know if there's going to be special exceptions for quarterbacks, which we saw with the XFL in 2020 where they paid the quarterbacks more because that's the most important position. And, you know, you, you need good quarterback play 
to have good quality of football on the field. And, and that's very important to these secondary leagues. Um, and so naturally quarterbacks are going to get paid more. Uh, but we don't know any kind of numbers other than to say that it's been reported that in that meeting, XFL leadership has told agents to expect um, players to make more in the XFL than they do in the USFL. Whether or not that happens, you know, that remains to be seen. To your first question about the XFL becoming a minor league for the NFL, uh, I think unofficially it kind of is. Any secondary football league is, is going to be a feeder system of sorts for the NFL. If the NFL wants to sign a player, even if they have a contract with that league, um, it's going to be very difficult for that league to stand in the way. Um, and nor should they, because it, it actually benefits the league when players move on and play and perhaps star in the NFL. It legitimizes those secondary leagues uh, to a giant fan base that we know that the NFL has. Uh, we also know that the XFL does have a partnership with the NFL Although it's not a player-sharing partnership, they are working with the NFL in areas like player safety and rules development and things like that. So there's already that baseline partnership in the NFL. Danny Garcia made it very clear at the time this partnership was announced that uh, she does not intend the XFL to be a feeder system, to be a minor league for the NFL, sort of like NFL Europe was back in the 90s or early 2000s, where uh, NFL teams would allocate players every year to play in NFL Europe. Danny Garcia has, has shut the door pretty hard on that idea. Um, she wants it to be a wholly separate entity. And I think that's the right move. Um, I think when you are seen as minor league, sometimes that has a negative connotation with it. So I think going forward as a standalone league, at least at first, is probably the right idea. Definitely. Um, last thing before I get you out of here. First of all, Greg, thank you so much for uh, joining us here on the podcast. Uh, it, it's always it's always great to finally talk about XFL again because um, <laughs> we're going to be, again, we're just, uh, what is it now? I want to say about uh, eight, nine months away from kickoff. Yep. And that's just unbelievable that we're that, we're that close to uh, kicking off the XFL again. But uh, so here's the last question that I have is, uh, you know, with, with the USFL, I know someone uh, – who has mentioned with the contracts that uh, these players have to sign a two-year contract and they can't even go into the NFL. They can't even uh, go into the XFL. So they, so yeah. they're basically tied to the USFL, which is, a, I think a terrible thing because why would you uh, tie a player down to a league? That's not going to make money. That's not going to make them a lot of money when they can go to a league that will make them more money. Um, so when it comes to the XFL, what are the contracts going to look like? I mean, are, are these players, can these players actually sign between, you know, because I'm, I'm willing to bet that uh, the contracts that they sign this year are just going to be for a year until they know for certain that this league is going to succeed. But if the league does succeed, let's hypothetically just say this. If the league was to hypothetically succeed, can these players sign two to four year deals and still you know, if, if the NFL teams wants to call them, they can opt out of that contract and go straight to the NFL. To me, that's one of the most interesting things to watch about not only what happens with the USFL contracts, but how the XFL structures their contracts. Their um, CEO is Russ Brandon, who was a former president of the Buffalo Bills. Um, so he's familiar with how professional sports contracts work <laughs> and, and things like that. He's no stranger to that. So, um, Unfortunately, previous spring leagues, at least recently, 
have not lived to see a second season. When we go back to the AAF and, and the XFL in 2020, we don't know what the end of the season would have looked like in terms of allowing players out of their contracts to go to the NFL. Uh, the USFL contracts, as you mentioned, are two-year contracts. The USFL holds an option after one year. So there are players who may, you know, if they are signed to a USFL contract but are not on a roster at the end of the year, the USFL may not pick up that option and they may be free to go to the XFL. Now, if you have players who are under contract and that option is picked up and maybe they didn't like how the USFL operated, maybe they didn't like whatever the case may be, and they try to get out of that contract to go to the, the XFL, um, the USFL could conceivably say no. But if that player goes public and says, hey, I want it out of my contract, the league is not letting me, that's sort of a black eye for that league. And to, to have a player under contract who no longer wants to play for you and to kind of force them to play for you, how is that going to work? How pub Publicly and, and publicity-wise, how is the USFL going to deal with that if that happens? So there's a lot of unknowns just because leagues like this have not really gotten to a second season recently. So we don't know how they're going to handle contracts, how they're going to handle opt-outs. You know, the USFL has mentioned that there is they will let players out of their contracts to sign with NFL teams. But, you know, NFL teams are not going to um, have conversations with players who are under contract to another league. So you're letting the player out of their contract with the assumption that they're going to be signed by an NFL team. Well, what happens if you let them out and they go to the XFL? Like, you know, so there are so <laughs> many unknowns. There are so many scenarios that you can imagine with these contracts. And this is one of those things. I think a lot of people were upset when the XFL pushed back their timeline to begin in 2023. They had initially announced 2022 and then they kind of punted to 2023 and that upset a lot of people and worried a lot of people. I think uh, one I of mean, the, I was one of those, I was one of those people yeah. that was actually pissed off because I, uh -huh. I figured that, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, by the way, Greg. No, that's okay. <laughs> I did figure that, you know, after 2021, you know, after this whole COVID bullshit finally ended, I, I'm not saying, by the way, I'm not saying that the COVID is ended. That's that's for anyone who is uh, listening or watching this podcast. I'm not saying that. The pandemic really hasn't ended, but we have better control on it as of right now. But you figured in 2022, the XFL should have been kicked off mm -hmm. because they had time to get uh, everything in order. They had time to. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, getting it pushed back to 2023, it kind of sidelined some players. Mm -hmm. It really did sideline some players. Like, uh, I'll give you a good example. BJ Daniels, who was, I think, uh, 29 or 30 when he was uh, playing with the Dragons. Now he's uh, 32. He's going to be uh, 32, 31 years old now. Hopefully, if the, if the Dragons still give him a contract, and I really wish. I really hope that the Dragons do sign a lot of their uh, former players to contracts, especially, uh, you know, a couple of my friends who, who did play on that team. Because, you know, again, it, it was it was hard not to see the XFL come back in 2022, and it was hard to see them uh, push it back to 2023. Yeah, I agree. And I think 2022 would have been the smarter play. And really, by pushing it back to 2023, it opened the door for the USFL. And now you have a league that's got a year head start on you and has a lot of players that, I mean, Jordan Tayamu, who is one of the top quarterbacks in the XFL, yeah. is now tied up in the USFL. So the XFL is losing out on some, some top players. But, you know, going back to my point earlier, it, it does give the XFL an, an advantage kicking off in 2023 because they're going to go into home stadiums before uh, the USFL does, assuming that the USFL leaves the hub next year and does end up going to 
um, the home stadiums to play, which is no guarantee, by the way. So that's mm-hmm. one advantage. But the other advantage is seeing how the contracts play out with the USFL, seeing how messy things might get. And, and maybe they don't get messy. Maybe the USFL has a handle on it. Maybe they handle things perfectly, professionally, and, and the players are all happy. Um, but that gives the XFL a little bit. They can see how things worked with the USFL and sort of adjust their contract situations accordingly um, if they see things that don't work. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that 100%. I want to go ahead and bring in my uh, my baseball co-host. What's going on, Matt? Hey, how you doing, man? Oh, not too bad. Uh, you've been busy just uh, basically watching the Mariners game and uh, listening to us talk about the XFL. Yep, um, just kind of staring off into space. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Greg. Um, I do have one more question. I, I just thought of this last one, uh, okay. and then we will let you let you get going. But uh, again, I wanted to thank you so much for being on this podcast. Sure. Uh, when the XFL when the XFL does come back, I want to have you back on. I I want to make this kind of like a weekly thing when the XFL does come back because I want to talk football with you. Want to talk XFL with you. So uh, that's definitely going to be really exciting to hopefully get you back on here. So the last question that I have for you is um, when it comes to uh, the XFL and when it comes to these players, you know, with, like you said, the, the, the USS, the USFL will probably fold by next year, which is a good thing because I feel like it's just a bad. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) Let me make that clear. (laughs) Okay. Um, I'm not, don't quote us on that then, (laughs) but um, no, I mean, is the XFL going to basically be like a savior to a lot of players, including a lot of uh, undrafted free agents in the, in college. And a lot of these uh, college athletes who do get hurt and then NFL teams just don't take shots on them mm-hmm. and then give them those contracts. Yeah, absolutely. I think you saw that with the XFL in 2020 in just five weeks, uh, how many players improved their stock and forced NFL teams to take notice. I know you mentioned PJ Walker earlier, who is a backup in the Carolina Panthers right now and who really starred uh, with the XFL in 2020. You had Donald Parham who was just raw. I mean, he, he just, he needed reps, really, and he wasn't going to get that in an NFL training camp as a fifth-string tight end. So you come to the XFL, you start, you play uh, meaningful games, and and NFL scouts take notice. And now he's a key contributor with the LA Chargers. You look at a guy like Storm Norton, who um, was a starting offensive tackle for the LA Wildcats in 2020, and he gets signed by the Chargers, and he starts 15 games at right tackle for the Chargers last year. So. Uh, and that's just in five weeks. You know, imagine uh, how many other players will shine with a full slate of games and things like that. So, you know, there are players who coming out of college, NFL scouts see as too slow, too small, uh, too injury prone. The XFL and if the USFL continues near to the USFL too, uh, are places where these players can go to prove those adages are wrong and, and really to prove those scouts wrong. And, um, mm you know, open eyes at the NFL level. And I think those are the stories that make these leagues so interesting is, you know, these are, this is kind of the last chance for a lot of these players and uh, to see them excel. And, and maybe they don't get signed by the NFL, but they can make uh, a career out of playing in the XFL and playing football. And that's a good thing. And it's giving, it's giving jobs to, to thousands of football players, to football coaches, to the people who work at the stadiums, to the people who work in the front offices, so uh, it, it isn't just the players, but, you know, they're, they're the ones that get a lot of focus and attention. And to see them go on and play in the NFL is, is such a cool story. And it reminds us why these leagues are important. 
Definitely. All right, Greg. Well, uh, uh, thank you again for uh, taking some time out of your day. Uh, 40 minutes, uh, basically 40 minutes wasted, you know, coming on to this podcast. <laughs> Never <laughs> wasted talking XFL. Never wasted. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, Greg, thank you so much for being on this show. Um, like I said, uh, we will definitely uh, call you back when the XFL is back in. But uh, I, I, let's let's go ahead and bring you back on here in about a month to also talk some XFL because uh, I'm pretty sure there's going to be even more news about the XFL uh, like you said, uh, with the teams uh, that are going to be formed as well. Yeah, absolutely. Be happy to do so. All right. Have a good night, Greg. Thanks. You too. Greg Parks, everybody. And, and as you can see, Matt is here, and we are now officially talking Mariners as uh, J.P. Crawford foul-tipped into the glove. Bases left. Uh, the runners at first and second were stranded, but the Mariners did get two runs in that inning. They got a two-run home run by Abraham Toro, which is good. Um, so... Well, real quickly, though, I want to bring this up because I wanted to give uh, these guys a shout out. Uh, let me go ahead and pull this up because this is something that I think that we should talk about. So really, the the, the Mariners have been I, – I don't know really what the big word is for it, but it's not been good this year. I mean, it's just been – it's been a disappointment this year for the Mariners. To say the least. <laughs> um yeah, to say the least. Um, but uh, Michael Thompson, who writes for Soto Mojo, if, if people don't know what Soto Mojo is, it is a fan-sided uh, uh, Mariners uh, site. I, I will say this. Um, they're better than Lookout Landing. They're 10 times better than Lookout Landing. <laughs> but um, Michael Thompson uh, posted, a, posted a story about can the Mariners make a deal for the century for Juan Soto? And that was something that I wanted to give those guys a shout-out because that was – that's actually a really excellent point because, you know, right now the Mariners, they need a bat. And, and, and honestly, like we'll get, we'll get into the trade talks here in a little bit, but the, look, the Mariners are still hanging around for, I for mean, yeah, because, because this is the 40th game of the year. This is really the 40th game of the year. And it, let me go ahead and pull this up. So the Mariners right now, um, right now in the standings, let's go ahead and look at this. Uh, the standing picture for the Mariners, but um, they seventeen and twenty-two. They're seventeen and twenty-two. They're eight games out of uh, the, of the West, which is not really a bad thing. Forty games in, um, but they're three and a half back in the wild card. So there's still hope. I mean, there's there's really, so much hope. I mean, we've I mean, been in so many worse positions, especially last year. About, think up. about this: forty games in, and you're only three and a half back. You're probably you might be four games back by the end of this game, but that's fine. There is still plenty of baseball left to be played, folks. But the big thing that we need to talk about here is trades, because um, Tom Murphy. It was announced that today that Tom Murphy had a setback, so he's going to be. It's going to be a while before he's back. So the position that you really need to fill is that catcher role. And really what I'm looking at right now is um, Michael actually tweeted before the, before the podcast started and uh, I'll pull up his tweet here in a second, but um, you know, I think the Mariners should make a move for Wilson Contreras from the, from the Chicago Cubs because you know, and, and look at it this way. Here's the thing. You really don't need to give up that much for, for Wilson Contreras. You really don't. Mm-hmm. Um, if if I'm looking at Wilson Contreras right now, I think he's 27. Let me – I think he's 29 right now. Let me make sure I have this right. So, Wilson – okay, so he's 30 years old. He's 30 years old. Wow. Oh, he's really two years younger than me? Holy shit. 
down. I'm sorry, that just shocked me. I was um, looking at the Mariners roster, and there's only one guy that's older than me. <laughs> it's like, um, man, I feel really old right now. <laughs> but um, no, let's talk. Let's just talk about Wilson Contreras because that's something. I think that's a hitter that the Mariners need because when it comes to catching, he's a great defensive catcher. He is an, an absolute great defensive catcher. There's there's a reason that he's been around the league for for a few years now. Um, a lifetime 259 hitter, but I mean he hits he hits between 260 and 240, which is something that you need. He's got pop in that bat, and he's mm-hmm. and he's able and he's an able hitter. So, and that's a position that the Mariners need to fill. They need to fill that catcher's role because it is struggling. I mean, right now, really. If if you want if you really want my honest opinion about this, Cal Raleigh really needs to go down to Tacoma because look, Cal Raleigh has four hits this season, and three of them are home runs. Is he only has four? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't but, even realize but here's that. Here's the thing: three of them have gone out. He has three home runs. Four of his or three of his four hits have come from the long ball, which is amazing, and. What a but, stat. <laughs> but I mean, again, I, I just think that the catcher position is is the one position that the Mariners need to fill because you need a guy who can get get you hits. Wilson Contreras is definitely that guy, and he's a great defensive catcher. He is a brilliant defensive catcher. No, I uh, I completely agree. I'm looking and see if there are any other catchers that I would want, and I think he's the only one that I've really highlighted. And yeah, because, a team like I mean, the really, Cubs, who are pretty much, I think they're willing to to sell right now. I oh, mean, they're, they're not. No, they're definitely they're, willing to sell. And then, if you look at the top thirty prospects for the Mariners, I, I want to go ahead. Let's take a look at their top thirty prospects because, really, like I said, you can you can give up something very small for Wilson Contreras. And, and look, I'm willing to bet, like if the Mariners were to offer Levi Stout, whose uh, ETA is next year. You know, if they were to offer him or maybe even uh, Juan Fenn, you know, those two guys, I, I feel like if you offer the, the, the Cubs those two guys, you know, they're going to they're gonna say yes because really, you know, they do need pitching. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they need pitching. So, so offer, them, offer them two prospects or maybe even one of the prospects for uh, Wilson Contreras, and you definitely got – and you got him because uh, – I, I think with Wilson Contreras, you will have to you will have to give up a top thirty prospect. You're gonna yeah, have to probably. give up. There, there's there's no doubt in my mind you're gonna have to give up a top thirty prospect. Um, Juan Fenn is definitely someone, but you also might have to give up um, maybe two other minor leaguers. So I mean, and the question is, is it is, worth is, pushing for him now and not waiting on to see if we can push for Soto? Because I don't want to give up a big prospect if. You know, that's someone who the Nationals are looking at that they would want and replace for for Soto. Well, if you, I mean, if we're going to talk about Juan Soto, yeah, definitely. You know, it, and 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 re, here's the thing, you know, it's it's not it's not a guarantee that the that the Nationals are going to deal him away. They they, they but if they're given the right offer, then you, they're going to take it. But I'm being honest with you right now. If the Mariners were to make that trade, they would have to give up possibly Noel V. Marte. Emerson Hancock and Harry Ford. Yeah. And, and, and here's the thing, you know, you're going to take George Kirby off this, off the top 30 prospect league. Cause he's, cause he's going to be staying here for a while. He's going to be up in the big leagues for a while. So you're going to be giving up your top three prospects 
And the question is, is Jerry DePoto willing to, that would be the question, is Jerry DePoto willing to give up Harry Ford, Emerson Hancock, and Noel V. Marte? Because, um, you know, also another thing that uh, Mike was mentioning or was, you know, Xander Bogarts is free next year. And that's another guy that the Mariners need to possibly target next year is, and probably put him at third base. Because Bogarts is really a shortstop, but you can definitely put him at short at third base. Yeah, definitely can. That's what I was kind of wondering when I heard that Bogarts could be on the market is where would we put him? But yeah, third base would make sense. And back to Soto, if you want to go back there, where would he fit in our lineup with all the outfielders we have? You know, that's, I mean, really, when, if you think about it, you know, this is, I think this is Hanniger's last year. I think this is really, I don't think Hanniger is getting a contract after the end of this year because he only got a one-year arbitration deal. So I don't think the Mariners are going to give him another deal. Um, I think they're going to let him walk. So you're, you're you know, it, it it's going to be tough for a lot of Mariners fans to say goodbye to Mitch Hanniger, but I, I, I do feel like that they are probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah they, I, I feel like they, that Mitch Hanniger is done. I feel like Mitch Hanniger's time in Seattle is going to be done after this year. But And the question is, is that who do you replace in the outfield with Juan Soto, especially when if Mitch Hanniger gets back? Um, the question is, is that why not just switch Mitch Hanniger and uh, Kyle Lewis around with DH? Because that's it. I mean, that's not a bad idea because Kyle Lewis, they've already announced that Kyle Lewis is going to be uh, – promoted on monday he's got he's coming back to the oh game. nice so so steven Souza jr is out and and this is something that i really don't like about mary's twitter i don't like the hatred that that steven Souza's is getting i i just don't like it because i yes, think it's he's the not... past things he's done <laughs> and like what did he dive into a fan on purpose is that one thing he did I, yeah he did and which whatever and then also his uh and it also has to do with a lot of his uh, political opinions as well which which really get into the minds of people you got to keep politics out of sports (laughs) i mean are we supposed supposed to know Um, everyone's political view i don't think so (laughs) but uh so the question is that you know um if you're also going to go after Juan soto here's the thing his contract's up at the end of 2024 so if you if you're going to acquire Juan Soto, I mean there is no question in my mind. How old is Juan Soto, by the way? I, I, think, I think he's, he's 23. He's 23 20, years old. He's 20 fucking yeah. three years old. Yeah, he's so been playing league since he was 19. He's gonna be a guy that you want on the team because he could he, be the future 3,000 hits guy. Like he could be the next want, one. And if you want to trade for him, if you're going to trade for him, then as soon as you trade for him. You give him that ten to thirteen year contract, thirteen year extension. There's just no question about it. Which he and, rejected a contract offer from the Nationals this and, and last I, off season. Yeah, and the reason why he rejected it is because I don't, I just don't think he wants to play there. No, I don't not when they wants to... they're dumping everybody else. I mean, why mm-hmm. would you want to stay? It's going to be kind of how Joey Votto kind of wasted away in Cincinnati. Why would you mm-hmm. want to do that? That's just brutal. That really is brutal to think about that Joey Votto's career has just been wasted in uh, Cincinnati. But, I mean. I mean, and especially with how young the Mariners are, we have a pretty good core bat right Mm -hmm. now with the three big heads. You add a number four with Soto and how young they are. And maybe if Kelnick can be who we think he is, if we don't end up dealing him to Washington, which I think they might. Want and and here's the question. Here is the big question. 
would you be fine with dealing Kelnick to Washington for if it means to get Soto? Yes, I would. And I'm not gonna lie. Look, I've got a I've got a Jared Kelnick authentic jersey in my in my in my closet, and I'm gonna be sad if it happens. But if it gets us Juan Soto, fuck it. Just exactly. Do it. You gotta Just do fuck it. Fuck it. Because it's and, <laughs> fuck and, it. Do it. <laughs> Fuck it, do it. That needs to be Nike's new slogan. Yep. <laughs> Fuck it, just do it. I mean, I'm, but, um, I'm willing to give him up if it means we don't give up Julio, which if they say we want Julio, it's a fuck no. Like, no, no, we're not no, going to give if, him up. If, if, the, if the Nationals actually believe that, that the Mariners would act, or any team in that general, if any team actually believes that, that Jerry DePoto is going to trade uh, Julio Rodriguez or out of the mind. And, and that's another thing that I wanted to bring up. Like one of the biggest positives about this, about this season is uh, Julio Rodriguez. He is showing what he really can do. Mm-hmm. Um, as of right now with the, uh, as of right now, he's got a 266 batting average um, right now and three home runs, 13 RBIs. And he's, he really, look, he got a bad treatment in the first couple of weeks with that strike zone. I mean, mm-hmm. if it hadn't been for those strikeouts, you know, Julio Rodriguez should might've actually been, you know, a 300 hitter by now. He might have been a 300 hitter by now. I mean, he could have probably gotten his first home run a little bit earlier, but I'm actually glad that we were able to see that first major league home run in person. But um, the, the the thing with Julio is, is that, um, and Mike Cameron actually commented on a tweet that we sent uh, yesterday because we were saying that, you know, Jerry DePoto is a very smart man for putting uh, Kelnick down in Tacoma because Kelnick needs to loosen up. Mm-hmm. But um mike cameron said that you know hey you're talking about two players two different mentalities which i get but julio rodriguez is just a completely different player he has fun doesn't matter if he struggles or not he has fun he has a smile on his face when when kelnick struggles or even if he's doing good and the mares are winning he still has a bad scowl on his face so that's the problem and i feel like that was a great thing that the mares did with jared kelnick they didn't, they didn't even tell him when he's going to come back up. They just said, you're going down to Tacoma. Go have fun. Yeah. That was the best thing that they could have ever done with, Jer- with Jerry Kelly. Baseball is a fun game. It's a fun game to play. Why not have fun out there? And that's, that's also why I like Juan Soto so much. Young kid, and he has fun. He has fun with the battling pitchers, st- you know, staring him down, having a grin on his face. You love to see that. And to complement that with Julio out there in the outfield, why wouldn't you want that on this team? It, I think it'd be a basically a perfect fit for, oh God, for that's Soto the, to that's be the, out that, there. That's the, that's the fucking dynamic duo in the American League West right there. That Right there, if, you, if the Mariners were to acquire Juan Soto and they have Julio Rodriguez on this team, then you're, you're basi- you basically have your Mike Trout and Shohei Otani on this team. Yeah. Which is which Pretty is much. unbelievable. To, which is actually unbelievable to really think about. If you think about it, it's unbelievable. Because do, here's the thing: Do I think that the Mariners are going to trade for Juan Soto? I don't think so. I don't think that Depoto is going to do it. No, but, it's really fun to talk about. <laughs> no, it really is fun to talk about because because it really I, could happen if we are in by now. We want to win right now. We're tired of the struggles. This is the move you need to make. It this will is the get big done. move yeah, that Seattle has kind of, you know, pushed away from making that giant move and and relying on young talent to come up and then we deal them for, you know, God knows what and it doesn't really pan out, but a guy like Soto 
there's no question it's going to pan out. I mean, you know, if an injury happens, obviously it won't, but the guy's young. He is really healthy. What could go wrong? I, I, I don't, I don't see the harm in doing it, dealing a couple of top prospects. Yeah. It may hurt at first, but if it gets us into the playoffs and possibly a world series spot, are you going to really think about the prospects we lost? Think about this. Think about this. With with George Kirby up right now, Emerson Hancock is the guy that is going to be on the trading block because you know they they were they were talking about it. I think uh, last year on nine on uh, ninety three point three KJR here in uh, Seattle, but they were saying you know there's two pitchers. Which one are you? Which one is, do you want to be the future arm? Do you want Emerson Hancock or do you want George Kirby? And I'm going to be frankly from what I've seen in just the videos and what I've seen from these players of how they've been performing, it's George Kirby. Emerson's the one that's the odd man out, mm-hmm. which I don't like to say. I don't like to say a player's out because I, I, don't, I don't think that's necessarily true. But when it comes to also this, this Juan Soto trade, you know, you're also talking about giving up Noelle Marte, which, you know, they're going to trans, they're going to transition him over to third base if they don't get Xander Bogarts. Because I think Noelvi's, I think Noelvi's ETA is 2023. Let me see this, um, if I had that correctly. Because if it's 2023, yeah, Noelvi Marte, yeah, they said 2023. So the question is, this is the, this is the exact question. So what is the question? What is the mindset for Jerry Depoto right now? Is it you wait for Noelvi Marte to be ready, or is it you want to win now? You trade the prospects. You possibly also trade maybe Jesse Winker. Mm-hmm. I, I hate to say that. I hate to say that, by the way. Or Mitch Hanniger. I mentioned Winker, uh, Winker last week and possible mm-hmm. trade. And I I don't like seeing it because I liked when we signed him. But I, mm-hmm. and this business and wanting so, to win now, you got to deal who you got to deal to, to yeah, get the so, job done. So, so, again, the question is, do you package Emerson Hancock Noel V. Marte, Mitch Hanniger, or Jesse Winker in a deal that in just a monstrous deal that goes over to the Nationals. You get Juan Soto, you get that Mike Trout and Shohei Otani combo in Julio Rodriguez and Soto. Or do you wait for Noel V. Marte? And and also, let me rephrase this and also you go out and sign Xander Bogarts because Xander has already said that he didn't want to sign with the Red Sox. So he obviously wants out of Boston. So do you go get Xander Bogarts next year, put him at third base, or do you wait for Noel V. Marte to come up and become your third baseman? Because I also think that they might also transition Noel. I'm thinking this, if they wait on Noel V. Marte, they might transition him over to second base and they put, or they put Xander over at second base if they sign Xander and they make Noel V. Marte the third baseman. So the question is, what is that mentality? And honestly, I'm thinking in my mind right now, if I'm Jerry Depoto, I'm giving the Nationals a call and I am asking them, what do you want in return for Juan Soto? What do we have? Who do we have to give up to bring him to Seattle? That's my mindset right now. Yep. That's mine too. Ask them what I mean, they want, hang up on them the first time when they say Julio, and then call them back. <laughs> Pretty much. All right. Um, 
that is going to do it for this baseball segment. Matt, uh, thank you so much for always joining me. Um, and uh, um, I think we're going to have a lot to talk about as well next week, man. Yeah, I think so. I took a crap load of notes, so I'm ready to go for next week too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. Have a good night, man. Thank you. You too, man. Have a good one. And of course, now let's go ahead and bring in an, all of our uh, people for our hockey segment. We got uh, Kate Hart right here, and we have uh, Liz Child. What's going on, Liz? Um, not too much. I don't. You can hear me, right? Sometimes I, I forget to hit. Yeah, we got you. <laughs> Sometimes I forget to hit the mute, and I'm like, oh, okay, what did I do? <laughs> um, I'm doing great. We have uh, playoff hockey tonight, so fantastic. Sure. We got NHL playoff hockey, and we have WHL playoff hockey, and that's a. That's the thing that uh, me and Kate Hart have not been talking about a lot a while is uh, the the WHL hockey has been uh, something to watch for. By the way, first of all, nice brick wall in the background there, Kate Hart. Oh, thank you. You noticed. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Now go bang your head against it. <laughs> <laughs> if only, right? If only. <laughs> but, We're gonna um, get to why. We're gonna get to why in a minute. But yeah. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> Hey, Liz, if you think this is nuts, you should have you should watch us do a, a movie commentary together. We did a, an extremely goofy movie on Wednesday, and you should have heard you can you can by the way, for anybody listening right now, go subscribe to BS Commentaries on YouTube. Go get go check us out on Apple, Spotify, and Google. We just finished an extremely goofy movie on Wednesday, and it was a hilarious podcast to do. And then uh, next week we're doing Mortal Kombat. Yes. Which is really fun. So Fun. Well, Liz, this is something that I wanted to, to, to have you on the show. First of all, thank you for so much for joining us tonight. Um, so the Seattle Thunderbirds are now in the Western Conference Finals um, after a miraculous three game. They, they came down three games to one against the Portland Winterhawks. And really, this team has shown a lot of resilience this year. I mean, it, it, there was there was times where, you know, you thought, oh, my gosh, the season's over, you know, I'm not gonna lie. When the seat, when we were down three to one, I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, okay, we can make this comeback. But I'm also thinking this might be the last game. So what is what is what has been total? What has been completely different about the Thunderbirds team this year? Well, it's funny you say that because I was thinking the complete opposite. When it was when they were down three to one, I was like, well, if they take the next game, this series is going to anybody. It doesn't matter. And then they come back at that three, like make the series three two. And I was like, okay, uh, Seattle, as long as they keep coming out and scoring first, they're going to be just fine. And it's exactly what they did. Um, and I mean, we haven't had playoff hockey in the WHL in two years. Uh, you know, since 2018 was the last time we had playoff hockey. And so it, you can't say, oh man, I mean, they're so much better than past playoff teams because, you know, it's been too long. The team is almost completely brand new. Most of these guys have never seen a WHL playoff, WHL playoff schedule. Uh, let alone had you know a full season, um, so they're just coming out, and I think what it is is they want it more. You can see it in their game, um, and in talking to the guys that I have had the chance to talk to, it's they just want it. They don't want to go home. They're sitting there being like, you know what? Yeah, we might not technically be the better team in this, but I mean, we're gonna go out there. We're gonna give it everything every night. It doesn't matter, um, and that shows what that can do for you is. Who cares if everyone's saying, oh, but they have the better <laughs> goaltender. Well, you know what? Thomas Millich is going to go out and be like, mm, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure they have the better goaltender? Um, their entire roster, I mean, they had a couple of games where it was like, all right, you started really strong, and then you just, you know, the first 
four games almost, they came out of the gate and were just on top of things. And then all of a sudden they were just like, yeah, we're going to let off the gas a little bit. The second you do that against any of the teams left in the playoffs, that's the end for you. So I think they figured it out. Um, they had a really good ability to solve goaltenders. They mm. literally said, hey, oh, that's your like one weakness. Let's exploit that every single time now. So they just, they want it. Exactly. Um, I know we're going to be talking about the 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 play the NHL playoffs here in a couple minutes here, KR. But I wanted to just uh, talk some WHL right here. But uh... yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. I don't know. I don't know shit about the WHL only because <laughs> it's, it's all up there, all up there. Yeah, I'm in California. I don't yeah, know what you're talking about. I'm in California. I'm in California too. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. He has no. I don't excuse. know what to choose. There's so many teams. They all in Washington. You know what? Message me after. I will. I'll figure you know out a team for you. That's one of my favorite things to do. Is connect Hell, people with teams that they're gonna love. So lost. All I know is Thunderbirds and Oil Kings. That's all I got. I mean, those are not bad to start with. Not bad to oh, start with at all. At least he doesn't know. At least he's just not a Winterhawks fan, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't really. I got, I, yeah, I got nothing. I can't uh, be a Winterhawks uh, fan. Their logo looks too much like Chicago's. I can't do it. They don't have that logo anymore. That logo's yeah, they don't gone. Have that logo anymore. <gasps> yeah, see, yeah. I don't know, see, I don't no, know what you're talking about. I, I can show you their new logo. I have a jersey right now. Okay. Here. But anyway, okay. Um, no, so that's a thing about Portland that I never understood is why they got rid of that logo. But I want to say this. I It might have been, like, slightly political. It might have – because they, they didn't want to offend anybody or something, but – I like that old like Chicago Blackhawks style logo. I thought I thought it was yeah, a pretty good one. But wearing it in public anywhere and hearing, "Oh, are you a Blackhawks fan?" every five seconds is uh, no, I don't need a, that. That's a good point. That, and then, that explains it. You know, they have new ownership, and that you know, I think the new owners are trying to differentiate themselves. They're doing a, their whole thing, and I can go on a whole Winterhawks rant if you want me to. I have, you mm-hmm. know, the whole U.S. division is my <laughs> is my thing. So don't send me down that road. Oh, fair enough. All right, so so here's a big question, Liz. So uh, Thunderbirds going to Kalamu here, uh, and uh, again, th- this is the, this is the big question. Can the with with the Thunderbirds coming back all the way, I say that nothing's going to stop them from winning at all. I don't think anything is going to stop this team from winning at all. I feel like they're going to be taking the Western Conference here in about, I want to say, give them six games, six games over that and i and i feel like that they are going to take the whl title okay i mean my uh western conference prediction is thunderbirds and six um however it's going to depend on how they come out tonight that's going to be the telling game mm. um i mean the kamloops blazers have looked damn near unstoppable in these play playoffs playoffs words <laughs> um but <laughs> I mean, they're they're still a team. It still doesn't matter. Like the Winterhawks completely swept the uh, Prince George Cougars. Granted, those are two completely different levels of teams. Prince George is not on the level that Seattle's on. We knew that was going to be a battle, um, but it doesn't matter. Uh, completely different levels of teams. But Kamloops again is basically Portland, but. Honestly, I think their entire team overall is on another level than Portland even. So this is going to be another tough battle. Um, my brain is saying either it's going to be like a five-game or five game series between the two and Kamloops takes it, or it's going to be a six-game series and Seattle's going to walk away with it. It's just depends on how they're coming out. If they keep that desperation that they had in those final three games against Portland, it, it's not. It's over. It doesn't matter. 
right. Uh, before I get you out of here, Liz, by the way, I appreciate you taking a couple minutes out of your day to, to talk WHL in here. I had to talk some WHL just because how well they're doing. But, um, you know, with with how much adversity the, the Thunderbirds have had this year, you know, what it, what was it about this team? You know, even if let's say that they don't win this this uh, this round. I mean, this season has already been a complete success because they've been able to uh, face adversity, come back down three games to one. I mean, it's it's damn it's almost damn near impossible to do that. I mean, if they were down three zero, you know, you're you're basically saying, you know, hey, the season's the the, the series would have been over. But three one, you know, it, it, it's it's been done before. I mean, look at the Chicago Cubs, for God's sakes. They came back against the Cleveland Indians years ago and uh, should have been a Cleveland Indians win in the World Series, but that's not the point. But what is it? what has it been really about this Thunderbird scene that's completely different about other Thunderbird scenes? And can they win at all? Um, I mean, from my perspective, it's just the amount of faith and the amount of you know play for each other that this team has. It's not necessarily that they're that much skilled, which they are. They're on par with any other Thunderbirds team in the past, but the amount that they just believe in each other and are, sh- are wanting to show up for just the team, like every one of these guys are like, yeah, I'm having a great season, but the team overall is doing fantastic. And I mean, of course, every hockey player is, you know, trained to say that, but the the amount that these guys are fully just like, no, let's talk, don't, don't talk about me. Who cares? Who cares? It doesn't matter. Um, it's just, it's different. And I think that's kind of fueling all of them is because they know okay, we're doing this together, all of us. And then, I mean, Thomas Millich just coming alive in the playoffs. He's had a great season, but, I mean, you get your goaltender hot in playoffs, and it does not matter what the rest of the season looked like. Exactly, exactly. All right, Liz, well, uh, I'm going to let you go ahead and get going. I appreciate you coming on here for a couple minutes, talking some Thunderbirds with us. Um, go T-Birds tonight, by the way. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. No problem. Have a good night, Liz. You as well. All right, Liz Child, everybody. And uh, now me and Kerry Hart, we get to talk about NHL and yeah, stuff I actually um, know about. <laughs> first of all, right. can I actually say what in, in just game ones these, th- th- this past couple days? Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. We yes. had an incredible two to one victories for the, for the Hurricanes. Um, but the, the Calgary Flames and Oilers. Wednesday, what did we do? We we committed the ultimate sin in doing a podcast and missed the greatest game in the world, a nine to six game. Right. So do you want to know what this game didn't have? What was that? A brick wall. Didn't have it. You know, <laughs> like the, the next might as well have been empty. Might as well mm-hmm. have because I think mid podcast the um the flames up like what four one four two six two yeah. Halfway through the podcast, I'm like, I, I wanted to tell you to stop so we can watch, but I didn't because that's my movie. So I ain't going to cut that off for the flames. <laughs> Absolutely not. But, yeah, it's just I'm not feeling that series. I'm re- I, 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 and I texted you this, too. I damned it to you, I think, last week. Whoever wins that series is just setting themselves up to lose to whoever wins between the Blues and the Avs because they're not going to allow six goals a game. It's not happening. No. <laughs> it's and, not happening. Um... And, you know, the Lightning now, uh, the Lightning right now currently lead two games to none over yes. over the Panthers. And I'm not going to lie. I think I think it's over. Yeah. I, I think, it, no, I, you know, here's the thing. When when a series is two games to none out of the best of seven, you know, you, not, you, normally you don't say the series is over. You say, oh, we still have a chance. But with 
How first of all, last night scoring a goal with two point nine seconds left in the third period. You know, I, I think that might have just been the complete dagger for the Florida Panthers because I I don't think the Lightning now are going to be stopped. I just so don't. The, the problem with um, the Panthers is that they're not scoring on the power play. We're now what eight games into the playoffs, or for or they are anyway mm-hmm. eight games into the playoffs. And they've yet to score a power play goal. You can't they're do over, that. I think they're over 29. Yeah, over. you can't do that. Like, Mm-mm. that's not a winning formula. And then to have a mental lapse in the dying seconds of the game, mm. oh, that's – I don't know how you come back from that. Now, they're in a very interesting situation. So, there is, I, for, I don't know the name of the artist. I forgot, in all honesty. But there is an artist oh. performing on Saturday. So, there will not be a lightning game on Saturday. However, there will be a game Sunday and Monday, so a playoff back to back. So if they lose, if they lose game three, it's over. Because like, how do you come back from that? Two Mm -hmm. two straight nights. How do you come back from that? You just don't. You 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 don't don't. because like playoff, you know, back to backs usually don't happen. I don't even think they happened in the bubble, and they played every other day. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, I I don't. It's not looking good for the Panthers. It's not looking good right now. No, it, it really is not. And but uh, the, the series that I that I also want to kind of also talk about because I mean it's it's kind of just an interesting series because um, honestly I don't know who is going to come out on top. I feel like this is going to go to a full seven games. It's the blue and the blues and the avalanche. I mean, you mm. know, because because the series is tied. I mean, the blues yes. uh, yesterday winning four to one, and then the other day Colorado beating uh, the blues. Three to two in the final in in the overtime. That was a great overtime game. That was, that was a, it, it was, was great up until the goal, because <laughs> no 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 no. Hear me out. Not because of who scored, but because of the the goal. It wasn't it it this wasn't a hundred mile shot. This was a muffin. This exactly. was one of those. Oh, you should have had that. So mm-hmm. that wasn't a good loss, but they bounced back from it. So I'm on the very 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 small boat of people who are pulling for the Blues that aren't Blues fans. Um, so I, I think the blues got it. I, I, I think, um, I don't know. It, it's something to, I have this theory and I've been, and I have not been wrong so far. Usually the teams that look really sexy in the regular season don't win, you know, case in point, the wild, uh, the Leafs every year. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I was about to say Dallas, but Dallas didn't look that good this year, but like, you know, the teams that just always look good and get their hopes up and then they, fall flat i just i don't i don't believe that to be true um and i think the i think the avs might become you know the net the new capitals where they lose in round twos every year and you know don't go anywhere for a while um that's what that's so far i could be wrong i could be wrong but i was what five of six last time i gave you a prediction yeah you were you were five of six of that that was that was actually really incredible you were unbelievable when it came to uh predicting these um these playoffs I, I mean currently so honestly like so i'm gonna go ahead and get my take on this yeah. because i believe that this might actually um because i think because i want to give my take on this so right now um we all know that the the panthers lightning series it's over mm-hmm. it's completely over yeah. um so with the avalanche and the blues though i'm i'm actually going to switch it around i want to say the avalanche could possibly take the take this series okay I, I'm saying it's going to go to a full 
excuse me, I'm going to say it's going to go to a full seven games. I, I feel like this, like this series could go to a full seven games and it's going to be a really fun seven games to watch. Oh, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. The Flames yeah, and the Oilers, though, I feel like – I honestly feel like the Flames did the best thing in the world and just absolutely knocked every tooth out of the Oilers in that game because um, – I it was hilarious because the game – I think the game had, um, I want to say, about uh, 30 seconds – I think – was it 30 seconds left? And then they just started getting into fights, and the rest yeah. said, yep, it's done. Yeah. And which was – which was good, I, I because I felt like that was a great uh, job by the refs. I need to get that's the first time I've ever given the refs compliments. By the way, <laughs> but I think the I think what the refs did in that situation was a good idea because um, really all you were going to get for for thirty seconds, you were going to get. Uh, I want to say t- it would have taken ten minutes to finish thirty two seconds into that game, and they knew yeah. and the refs knew the game was over because yeah. I mean you're you're not coming back down three goals with thirty seconds left. It's just impossible. It right. really is impossible. So right. I feel like. I feel like the Flames have this series. I, feel, I, I think they, I think they have the moment. I think they, they had the momentum in Game One, and they did everything that they could to knock every tooth out of that Oilers team. And so, I think that this, this series might. I, I want to say, I'm going to give the Oilers some credit. I think they win one game, and it's going to be a, a, a five-game uh, Flames victory. Um, with the Hurricanes and Rangers, though. That's totally different. I I don't know who to really pull for in this because on one hand, those New York fans, you know, they've been craving this type of hockey for a while. Yeah. Um, But also on the other hand, uh, Carolina, they're starting to show what kind of good, they're starting to show that there's some pretty good hockey fans there in Carolina. So, you know, I want to say, that series possibly goes to seven as well. And I want to say that the Carolina hurricanes are going to come out on top. So that's, so that's, that's my prediction for all this. What is your take on all, on all these playoffs? Because you are the playoff predictor. So, okay. So we've agreed that um, we've agreed so far that the lightning and that shit is over as like like the back to back Mm -hmm. makes it was what's going to make it interesting because I don't see how, they have to win game three. If they don't win game three and they play again uh, tomorrow, tomorrow being Monday, that shit is over. It's, it's over. <laughs> There's well, no, no coming I'm back from that. Saying, like, it, um, if the Lightning win tomorrow, I mean, we have agreed that the series is over, but if they yeah. really do win tomorrow, the series really is over. Yes. Yes. As for the, the Blues and Avs, I'm sticking with the Blues. You're but sticking with the Blues. I, I know you I'm sticking with, Yeah. But I believe that um, they've got the scoring touch. Yeah. Uh, you know, but both but both teams have been brutalized by the refs, so both teams have. So <laughs> that's going to play a factor, but I'm going to give that one to the Blues in six. Okay, I like that. I like as, that. As for the Oilers and Flames, that shit going to five. <laughs> and let me, and I'll tell you why. Not, and so, I'm not so, gonna we, so I just said that that series is going to go to five. So who's coming no, out? No, but for different there? reasons. For different reasons. Okay. So Okay, okay. I'm, in, the I'm, flame, I'm listening. The Flames are going to win in five. But not because they have better goal scorers. Because Edmonton has worse goaltending. Why, <laughs> like, can the Mike Smith and uh, Koskinen tandem can that end? It hasn't worked. It didn't work in the bubble against Chicago. It didn't work last year. They didn't make the playoffs last year. It didn't work. It just, it just hasn't worked. Exactly. <laughs> so I don't understand why there's still hard press on that. You know, Mike Smith is up there in years, and he's not what it used to be. 
and it's a meme at this point of how he plays the puck. It, it's 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 not good. I don't got too much to say about Koskinen, but they're old. Like it's not gonna work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not gonna work. Like yeah, I get you know the um, the Oilers do have playoff experience. You know the, they got Keith from Chicago. They got Kane uh, from San Jose. I, I get he that, should. but like yes, I get that. <laughs> but at the same the time, way- huh? By the way, did you? I, I can't remember who did it, but uh, one Chuck. of the Flames player he turned over to Kane. And he's like, "You want to borrow some money?" Yeah, it, that was Matthew Tuchuk. Yeah, um, <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, so the the Flames, and not to mention the Flames, just have more playoff experience in general. You know, they've been getting beasted by the Ducks for years. Mm-hmm. They got destroyed oh by Colorado the past two years, I think, as well, or at least one of the two years. Um, they they they're ready. This is but this is the best Flames team I've seen in a long time. Um, Definitely. So they're ready. So that shit's over in five. And as for the game that's on right now, which is the Rangers ah, <laughs> oh, and no. Kane and Hurricanes, um, I can see that one going the full seven. Um, there's not a there. I think they're so evenly matched, you know, because. Mm-hmm. They both have good players, but no, but neither team has like a Sidney Crosby or a McDavid on the team. N- neither team really has that. Well, I mean, I mean, mm. one has Panarin and one has Smeshikov, but they're not up there. You know what I mean? They're not like generational talents. You know what I mean? Exactly. So, um, and then the go ahead. Well, I was gonna say, you know, for like the Oilers, for everything that they've been going through, like they have Drysaddle and Connor McDavid, they have two superstars. Yeah. And the fact that they can't put it together is pathetic. It, it, the yeah. front office is a joke because you have you, you you basically have the star of the league. You right. have the star of the league. Well, actually, I want to say Troy Terry is about to be the star of the league now. But, you tell him. <laughs> but seriously, you have one of the best players on your team in Connor McDavid. It's just like the it's just like the Toronto Maple Leafs. You have one of the best players in Austin Matthews on your team, and you can't put it together. It, right. I mean, it's you know, I'm not, I'm honestly getting some flashbacks of back in the '90s when I was a kid, because I'll give you an example. Um, okay. You know, the Mariners, they had one of the best. Here's the thing: think about this. the The Seattle Mariners had Alex Rodriguez, Ken Griffey Jr., Edgar Martinez, uh, Jay Buhner, Randy Johnson, superstars. They had right. they had stars. They couldn't put a team together. They couldn't win a title. And then Griffey left. That's what I. That's what I'm thinking. That is gonna go. That's gonna happen with um, Connor McDavid in Edmonton. He's leaving because I don't think he's. I don't think he wants to put up with it anymore. So here's the thing, right? You've been with this team since they drafted you. I don't even know when. It's been so long, but you've been with the team for a while. You have two, two playoff wins to show for. Two. One against LA, one against San Jose. You couldn't get the trifecta done in 2017, but mm-hmm. we ain't talking about that right now. He didn't hold the pad. Um, so I think it's time to go. At some point, you have to realize it's time to go. It's not going to work. And I'm going to go ahead and say the same thing to Austin Matthews in oh, Toronto. Right. That was I was just about to ask you that. I mean, do you think – because I feel like Austin Matthews might also be out as well out of Toronto. Right. So with that – a lot, of, a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, don't blow it up. This is the best the Leafs have ever looked. But my thing is, what do you do now? You know, you, because because people are saying, oh, well, the Leafs, you know, 
the uh, the the playoff bracket sucks, and you know it's like you, you can't keep making new excuses for them every year. That's the, like that's the problem with yeah. Blues fans is that they always make up these excuses. And it's here's the thing: it has nothing to do with the playoff bracket. It has right. nothing to do with how you're put into the playoffs. Right. It has to do with the fact that the Leafs every time they do this, they choke. They are right. Getting, it's been fifty eight years now. Fifty eight years since yeah. they won a Stanley Cup. I, again, right. I said this. I said this last week on the podcast, you know, if if you have a girlfriend and you dress up as a Leafs fan and she dresses up at the Stanley Cup, at the end of the night, you're not going to have her. <laughs> um, so, I yeah. mean, it, it's just sad how, how Leafs fans, they keep, make, they keep making up excuses. It's, it's ridiculous. It has nothing to do with anything that the NHL does with the Leafs. It has to do with the team. The team is the one that is that fails to put the product out on the ice, and they're the ones that fail to put the to to uh, put the success forward. They cannot right. get out of the first round. Right. So you know what's funny? They played Boston a lot, right? In the playoffs, <laughs> mm-hmm. this was probably the year that they beat Boston because Boston doesn't have Tuukka Rask, and everybody's a lot older. This was the year to beat Boston, and they still couldn't get Boston. I mean, um, it's it's pathetic because that Boston team really wasn't that good. The, yeah, that team wasn't that was, but, but But then again, it is the Leafs, and, you know, Boston would find a way to win somehow. Um, <laughs> that's just what they do. Uh, so, honestly, they I think – it up every time they get – every chance they get. So, I think it's mental at this point, you know, because mm-hmm. then I, I just don't know how do you get better. Like, who do you add? You know, and that's what I was tweeting the day it happened. I, I mean, I know I couldn't be on the show. I was – um. I was out that day, but uh, who do you add? What do you do? Um, you don't have the money to add another star player. You know, you have Tron Tavares. You have Mitch Martyr, prayers up, by the way, for the carjacking. Um, you have um, William Nylander. You, you, like, you have all these pieces. You have uh, Giordano. You have uh, Riley. Uh, Muzzin. You have all these big names. So I'm just, just who else do you add? <laughs> Who just else do you add? You just had to mention Giordano, didn't you? <laughs> um, no, not really. Um, you but he's, re- but he's relevant to the conversation. You just need to be an asshole. But he's relevant to the conversation. I, I agree. He is relevant to the conversation, but you still didn't need to bring that up. That's, that's okay. 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 Point aside. Who else do you add? What What more can you do? You can't add anybody because you everything is there. Exactly. So. Because, uh, so, so real quickly, yeah. In, with you bringing up Mark Giordano, that was, I will say this. Look, it, it, it's painful, but you did bring up a good point. Mark Giordano is a good captain, mm-hmm. and he's and he's a player that every NHL team needs on a team. And, again, like you said, he really is mental at this point. Yeah. I mean, the Leafs, you know, every year they, they put out a good product out on the ice. They get into the playoffs. Yes. Yes. But then every single year, it's like the ment- – it's like they – they're they're like that nerdy kid. They're like that nerdy kid at the talent show who every time he gets, whenever he's about to come up the stage, he wets himself. I mean, that's exactly what happens to the Toronto Maple Leafs. They always wet themselves and they choke. I mean, right. and, it's, and it's here's the thing. I'm starting to feel sorry for the fans. Like I never thought I would say that. I'm starting to feel sorry for the, for Leafs fans. Now here's the thing, for those listening. I don't hate the Leafs. I'm going to say it one more time. I don't hate the Leafs. However, at the same time, at some point, I got to say something because we're doing the same thing over and over again. We keep saying, oh, this is the year for the Leafs. 
Um, you know, this is their year. They're going to win it all, right? Um, and then it doesn't happen. And now y'all look goofy. Mm-hmm. Y'all look goofy. Okay, it's like, okay, well, let's let's take the football for a minute. You're in the NFC West, right? So you see Cowboys fans two times uh-huh. a year. They're another fan base that says every year is their year. Mm-hmm. And last time I checked, let me see. Last time I checked, wait, hold on. Hello? How many games have they won in the playoffs? One? Yeah. That's how many they've won. They've only won one playoff game. You keep, disappearing. you keep disappearing. I know. Behind that brick wall. I know. It's a. I know. It's a brick wall. It's not helping me out. Um, but anyway, no. Yeah. But, I mean. Yeah. I don't hate the Leafs. I. Re- yeah. I really don't hate the Leafs. I don't think. I really can't name a lot of people. I can. I really can't name people that I know who are big hockey fans who actually hate the Leafs. But it's yeah. just. It's just getting. It's getting depressing to see this to 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 the fans because I mean, look. I mean. I'm a Mariners fan. I don't know what the playoffs have felt like in 21 fucking years. <laughs> so, you know, I would actually, I would kill to go, get into the play. I would have killed to get into the playoffs every year and just get booted out in the first round. But, but, uh, but it, no, you, but here's I, mean, I mean, but, I mean, I get on, the Hold on. I was, okay. a, I was just about to say this, you know, if, if we were to get into the playoffs every year, Mm-hmm. We have that team to put together. We have a team to, you know, put a World Series title up uh, up in the up in the banners. Yeah. But every year you keep getting pushed out in the first round. You know, it starts getting irritated by by. I want to say by year four, it really starts to get irritating. That's exactly what's happening with Toronto. Is that it's just, it's just a constant basis. It's it's every year. And uh, what's his face? That dude on Twitter who keeps going, who went viral last year because he made that song. And he went viral again with the one with the guitar. I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, I'm, the only dude I'm thinking of is Steve Dangle, <laughs> but like, um, I don't, I'm not, I'm not sure you're talking about. Um, but anyway, um, yeah. But anyway, uh, no, I, I just feel so sad for for Leafs fans. I really feel bad for them because they have to go through this. But uh, getting back to the playoffs, though, I mean, the Eastern Conference Finals, I want to oh, say, shit. is going to be. Yeah, it's going to be it, a it's dog fight. Be, it, so it's going to be the. I say it's going to be the Flames and the Rangers. I say it's going to be the – or wait a minute. Did I say the oh, – no, You say, said Eastern Finals, not not Cup Finals, Eastern. Yeah, yeah, I said the – okay, so I made a mistake on that one. But, um, no, the Eastern Conference Finals is going to be uh, – so who's – so the Flames are going to, I want to say, battle – wouldn't okay, it be the Blues? Gonna, yeah, it'd be the Blues. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're gonna. Yeah, so it's so Flames versus Blues, and then uh, Rangers versus the Lightning. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna lie. I mean, I feel like all both of those uh, Western and Eastern Conference Finals could all go seven games. Mm-mm. But Mm-mm. I gotta cut you off there. No, not, uh, okay. not the West. Okay. Okay. Not okay. the let's, West. Let's, let's hear just it. just because once once we get to that Western Conference Finals, the Flames goaltending while Markstrom has been good. For right now, he's not he's not Bennington or Darcy. He's not he's not on that level. He's not there yet. <laughs> so, and then not to mention, you know, this would be the first time for both teams if it's the Avs and Flames. It'd be the first time, right? Mm-hmm. The Avs have much better scoring on that team. Much better. Mm-hmm. They get it everywhere. You know, you know, first line, fourth line, first D pairing, third D pairing. They got it all over. They have it in droves. The Flames, it's all right. It's not bad. It's not great, but it's all mm. right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I got that's why that's why 
you know, Avs versus Flames in seven, you're going you to have to sell me on that a little more because I think the last time those two teams faced off, the Avs knocked them out in five. Okay. So, just, okay. so, so yeah. you have the Avalanche taking that taking that series. If they get by the Blues. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so yeah. hypothetically speaking, mm-hmm. if the Avalanche – so hypothetically speaking, if the Avalanche were to get by the Blues, okay, it's going to be a Lightning versus Avalanche finals. Okay, yeah. That, that one I can buy. I can buy that. And I think that would be one of the most watched ones. And I and I want and I want that series to go to seven games. I want that series just to go to seven games, just really badly. So, at, so Avs Lightning is a is a series that the internet, mostly Twitter, has been wanting for a long time. So I think it would be kind of cathartic to finally see it in real time versus just a video game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so I think I think that'd be pretty cool. Um, yeah, that that'd be something. I mean, naturally, we'd have I well, not we. I would have to go for for the lightning because you know they have Corey Perry. So I you gotta go. I, I gotta. Pull, I would. I would pull. I would want the three peat. I would want the yeah. three peat to happen because. So, um, I mean, I mean, really, three peats just don't happen that often. Right. So that's the reason. But, so um, we're. Oh, I was about, oh, last thing I'll say is we're in a very interesting time period. So if a three peat does happen. We're living history because the last time that happened, I wouldn't even thought of, and I think you were a toddler at the time. <laughs> the last time it happened with the Islanders. <laughs> so we're living in historic times, folks. Definitely. But uh, that's all I got. But that is going to do it for this hockey segment. Uh, both me and Khard, uh, if you guys do not tune into it uh, next next Wednesday, we're going to be back uh, with BS commentaries. We are going to Mortal Kombat. We are watching Mortal Kombat 1995. Um, be sure to tune in uh, to BS Commentary. Subscribe if you have not already done it. Uh, follow us on uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We post uh, the podcast every Thursday, I believe, or Friday. And uh, also be sure uh, K-Hart's going to be back here next week. And hopefully we're talking about uh, you know both the Eastern and Western Conference Finals uh, possible matchups as well. Right. So, uh, K-Hart, uh, I will talk to you next Wednesday, brother. Y'all be good. And now we uh, come to our uh, to our Husky segment. It's been a while since we've done a Husky segment because uh, there's just been a lot of uh, unfortunate things happen. But from RealDog.com, Roman uh, Tomashoff, did I get that right? Tomashoff, yeah. You recall this happens every time, so don't even worry about it. I I, I do got to <laughs> say, sitting in the sitting backstage for a couple minutes, felt attacked by all the uh, all the bad Boston vibes that I was getting. You know, to just got to throw that out there as I as I wore my Red Sox shirt for the time mm-hmm. being. Uh, yeah, you just had to wear the Boston Red Sox shit, didn't you? <laughs> hey, Sox fan, went to school out there, and Trevor Story kind of single handedly crushing the Mariners right now. So see, that's real, what, real fun that's to see what, all that. That's what pisses me off is that uh, the Mariners didn't sign him, so he's just getting his revenge on this one. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, our first uh, talking dogs uh, really here on the podcast in a long time, and uh, one thing that I want to talk about is uh, it was an interesting article that I read a couple days ago, and it was talking about the top ten Washington baseball players in the class of twenty twenty two. Um, there is, uh, Adrian, uh, Dod- uh, Dod- Dodery from, uh, Mount Sai, uh, Connor Bauer from North Kitsap. Here we go. Uh, Tabor Fast from Olympia, uh, Tice P- Peterson from Juanita, Reese Walling from, uh, Prari. I think that's how it's pronounced. Uh, Ryan Orr from Tumwater, 
Peyton Graham, uh, Tomekin, I think that's how it is. Uh, Jackson Cox from Toodle Lake. Uh, Dominic Hellman from Jackson. And then uh, Ian Ritchie Jr. from Bainbridge Island. So those are the top 10 baseball players in Washington State. And not one of them are going to UW. And <sighs> and this is a this is a big thing that I have with with UW because a lot of people are saying you know oh you know you, you know UW can't land these these big time uh, names, but the problem is is that you know think about this you know the, these guys are committed to to Oregon to Wazoo to Texas Tech to um, UCLA. UCLA, UC, yeah UCLA you know the, these are these are schools that has gear if that makes any sense. And there are also schools yes. that are competitive. So that's a big reason. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about on this is, you know, the, one of the biggest mistakes a couple of years ago that the, that the Huskies made was switching from Nike to Adidas. Because I feel it, because here's the thing. I, and, and I keep, and I keep saying this and I, and I, and I'm going to live and die by this, but there's a reason why um, UW loses out to Oregon uh, for players, sometimes it's the gear. These when these when these kids are getting offers, you know they want to go, they want to go to a competitive school, no doubt, but they also want the gear. Oregon's got the gear. Washington State has got Nike gear. UCLA's got Jordans. The, and another reason why these kids are going to Texas Tech is because Texas Tech is one of the best in the SEC when it comes to baseball. So they're making the college baseball playoffs. So they want to be competitive. I, I will say as a former college baseball player myself, the warm weather also does help playing in the Northeast and the Northwest does make it a little bit tough, but if they're going to Oregon, it's kind of out of the question. But uh, so one, and this is, this is, it's, it's funny that you bring up this issue because it's an issue that doesn't necessarily just stem from the baseball team. It's an issue that stems for all of, all of UW athletics. And I would say it, it, it all kind of lives and dies with the football team. Mm-hmm. Because the the thing you point out about kids going out of state for school also just and, and that started in 2021 really with uh, with football where we just saw all the top prospects just leaving the state going everywhere. Ohio State was the big one. Um, they've they've been just coming in taking whoever they want. Oregon has basically made Washington like a second home for them on, on the recruiting trail when it comes to football as well. Uh, and I I definitely agree with you. I personally was in the in the camp that Jordan should have been the um, should have been the uh, the the brand that UW chose to sign with when everything kind of came down to it. And going going back to football once again, some of this seems to kind of stem from what Chris Peterson used to be doing, where he was very against all of this, and because Chris Peterson has just such a giant role in the athletic department as a whole. Yeah, definitely. He. He's he's such a traditionalist when it comes to the uniforms and everything, and he just kind of didn't want to see all of that kind of extravagant gear. And that's one thing that we've noticed recently when it comes to stuff that's going on with Kalen DeBoer and stuff that we've seen on the recruiting trails, that all the recruits that have been up recently taking photos, doing everything like that, they've all been doing it in the black jerseys like the, the all blacked out mm-hmm. with the purple chrome helmets, which look awesome, by the way, they need to they wear do. those at some point this year. Um, but it, it all kind of stems back to, to Chris Peterson in one way or another. Yeah, where, it really does. Like the, the program itself, when, you talk, when you're talking baseball, has been kind of middle of the road, hasn't been necessarily the most impressive. Um, 
but it's it's just kind of it's like it's it's great that you point out with baseball, but it's an overarching theme in the athletic department as a whole that the top the top players, Paulo Banchero. Like, oh my god. Um so yeah, real quick, I don't mean to interrupt you, right? No, please. But um so so this is a problem that I have, and I and I also wanted to bring up the basketball program because I I think I talked about this uh I want to say about a month ago, uh when I was doing just the solo thing, but um with Paulo Banchero, he had a you know, two schools. That's it. Two schools that he got an offer from, Duke and UW. And the fact that uh, Mike Hopkins could not convince him to come to Montlake, play in front of his family is very sad because I feel like, you know, here's the thing. You know, this Husky team this past year, uh, basketball-wise, was not really bad, but it was just – it was missing one player. Yeah. And if you had, and if you had Paulo Banchero – you know, that that was the player. And and maybe the Huskies could have uh, probably, they probably could have made the tournament at that point. Um, but no, it, it, it all of this recruiting thing, it, it all comes down to recruiting. And, yes. you know, and, and this is the thing that I have with Mike Hopkins is that he doesn't do well when it comes to recruiting. He does not, uh, he doesn't help in the way that we need him to, to help because it's just, I mean, I don't I don't know what to say anymore uh, about Mike Hopkins, but I just I I just want him out because it, because he's just not helping this basketball program. It does seem like it's getting to that point, and that that's the crazy thing. Like his his first recruiting cycle, Isaiah Stewart, Jaden McDaniels mm-hmm. got quite a green transfer in. It was like, wow, this is this is something. This is great. And then from that point on, it's just been not even like a steady decline. Like there was just a cliff because mm-hmm. it felt like I can't, I'm, I'm blanking. Oh, it was uh Marjan Beauchamp was the big one in the next class. Mm-hmm. Very unique situation where with, with that one, like that class was okay at best in state after that. I'm, I'm blanking on who else was in that one, but then everything seemed to be building up for 2021 and building up to Paulo. And then like Paulo had other offers, like it, but it just never seemed like not even that. Like Mike Hopkins couldn't convince him to stay home. They they weren't even in the picture. Mm-mm. Like it was, I'm going to Duke, Kentucky, or UNC. Like I'm I'm not. I, I, like my dad played football here. My mom ran track, and I'm not even considering them. And again, this is not just an issue with the basketball team. Like this is an issue with the football team. It really is, and and the the problem is, is that you know, um, again the the team this these past couple of years have not really been competitive. Um, but um, I'm going to say this: Jimmy Lake was a terrible head coach. Uh, you know, I'm glad that that uh, ship has completely sailed. But Kalen DeBoer now, I feel like, has an opportunity to really rebuild this football program and make it better, um, and make it into back into a winning program because. You know, you know, from what I've been hearing, you know, I, I talked with a couple of the kids that were on uh, the football team. I've talked to a couple. Of, I even talked to a couple of guys on the basketball team, and they've even talked to the football guys and said that Jimmy Lake was a very abusive head coach. He was a very yes. ab- verbally abusive head coach, and he was very abusive in practices. But Kalen DeBoer brings in, you know, that positive mentality. He brings in that he brings in that type of fatherly love type of. Uh, feeling with this team, and I feel like that's what players will 
we'll really get into is actually having a head coach who doesn't verbally abuse them, who doesn't physically abuse these kids, who actually, if they have a bad game or if they have a bad practice, you know, he's going to come up to you. He's going to be like, dude, this is what you need to fix. This is what we need to do to fix that. He's going to be that father mentality. And I feel like that was what um, Chris Peters was. I feel like that really was Chris Peters. Chris Peters was like a father to these kids. Chris Peterson? Or Chris Peterson, excuse me. Yeah. But no, I feel like Kalen DeBoer, he's going to try to do trying to do exactly what Chris Peterson did. He's going to be that father figure that these kids need when it comes to uh, playing here at UW. So first, first thing I'll say is Jimmy ran everything from like an NFL standpoint, but he ran it so far over the top that it was actually shockingly ridiculous. Like it didn't matter what day like practices were on. It was full tilt, full time, full pads, hitting full speed. And like, it got guys hurt. It got a lot of guys hurt. Richard Newton tore his ACL, Edifon Uvocio, broken arm. He had a really bad leg injury. I think there were like, there were lots of injuries that went unnoticed because he just decided that he was going to run his program like an NFL style, but just even more like over the top aggressive with some of the things that he was doing. And not only did he do that, but the one thing about Jimmy Lake that was supposed to be the big exciting draw when he came in was he was supposed to be a recruiter and he was great. Mm -hmm. Like if you look at his track record as a defensive backs coach, it was amazing. Look at his 2019 class. He pulled in Trent, uh, Trent McDuffie, Asa Turner, um, one other four-star who's no, uh, Kyler Gordon was 2018. He pulled in incredible recruits year in and year out. And when the decision was made to make the transition from Chris Peterson to Jimmy Lake, every single Husky fan for the first time in forever, if you ever read Twitter agreed on something, they all agreed. Oh my God, this is the best thing for the program. And now it's all revisionist history going back two years later, being like, oh, well, you know, they should have conducted a national search. They should have done this. They should have done that. Yeah, sure. We can always look back and things can be 2020. But at the time, with the especially with the 2021 recruiting class coming up, with JT Tui Malau, with Emeka Egbuka, with Julian Simon, who were all top 100 recruits nationally that did not commit to Washington. Mm -hmm. because Jimmy Lake's approach to recruiting for the longest point in time was they're going to want to come play for us. Why wouldn't they want to come play for us? And that's, that's, just a, that's just a bad mentality. It's not how it works. Look at the class of 2022. The ego got worse after whatever the hell 2021 was, or uh, like, excuse me, 2020 as like a season going into like the beginning of 2021. Everything was like, oh, oh things are going to start ramping up. These kids are going to start taking visits. And another, another guy who, like, should uh, this should be pointed to that was like basically a Washington lock at one point. Like the kid was wearing glo Washington gloves for every football game. Was Troy Franklin, five star receiver out of Menlo Atherton, when going to Oregon. He was a lock at one point, and they just didn't recruit him. They just stopped, and he's mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm I'm going to go to Oregon. They they put in the time and the effort to get to know me. Mm -hmm. It's it's truly unbelievable how like <laughs> I could go into just the 2021 season as a whole too, but that's just going to be me three hours of just shouting into the void. So, yeah, I I agree 100. Um, that it's 
it's always it always has to do with these it always has to do with the head coaches it really does um it has to do with how these guys um go about recruiting and uh you know here's the thing the one thing that um before we end this before we end the podcast in this segment about that i really want to see happen is um you know i met mike hopkins last year uh or, or not last year but uh, earlier this past year uh when i uh went to a couple of games for the basketball team um best part about it is they won both games they won it against uh, oregon state and uh asu which was really fun to watch um and and the, and the crowd was electrifying i love i love sitting in the in the dog pack right there i loved doing that but um one thing that when i was sitting behind the the bench for the for the huskies is um you know mike hopkins is very intimidating he's very intimidating when he, when he coaches <laughs> oh he's but, giant but when he comes but when after the game you know i i went up to him and i'm like hey mike hey coach hopkins how you doing and he's like oh hey man how you doing and he was just friendly as hell and i'm just like you're a totally different person he's like what do you mean i said I was sitting right behind you while you were coaching. You scared the shit out of me. <laughs> he's <laughs> got that. He's got that Emperor Palpatine looking stare when he's when he's on the sideline. It's great. <laughs> and here's the thing. Look, I I do love Hopkins. I do love Hopkins as a coach. I really do. But I feel like he could probably be better off as a and as as an assistant coach. And I want Will Conroy because I feel like Will Conroy is the player that a lot of these. Um, not just the players uh, love to talk to, but the recruits love to talk to Will Conroy. And I feel like Will Conroy does the best job when it comes to recruiting kids. I would agree with that. And uh, one just name that shouldn't go unnoticed on that staff, new new addition last year, but Quincy Pondexter. Yeah, Quincy. Yeah, I, I knew you were going to bring him up. I knew you were going to bring Quincy up. By the way, cameo in the background, your, your roommate. I think. Shout out to my roommate. <laughs> <laughs> But, He's an um, Oregon guy, but you know, we'll let it slide this time. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, uh, Quincy Pond, I, I met him as well last year during senior night. Uh, really great. Uh, was uh, just a pleasure to meet him, by the way. And it was a pleasure to meet all the, all those coaches, all the players, you know, during senior night. Um, it was, it was actually a really emotional night for me because I got to watch my buddy Nate play uh, Nate Roberts play for one last time. And, you know, both times that I've gone there, he put out a double, double, and I'm just like, and you know, ran, uh, met him after the, the yeah, ran into him, <laughs> you know, met him after the game, and you know, I've been one of Nate's biggest supporters, and he's just a uh, an amazing human being. You know, I wish him the best of luck in this NBA draft, by the way, because I I feel like teams could use a guy like him. I feel like oh, teams absolutely. could use a guy like him. Um, it, it was just very unfair with how the refs treated him because a big guy like him always getting the whistle. That's just unfair, but getting back to the coaching you know when it comes to recruiting for UW, they need to do a better job where it doesn't matter what sport it is whether it's baseball whether it's football whether it's basketball these you know your program is your program is determined to put out you're you're from the conference of champions that's the thing that a lot of people don't uh, need to remember they are from the conference of champions and right now you know you're you're, you haven't been champions in a long time. The last time that the Husky basketball team was really champions was back during that David Chris, Matisse Thibel, and Jalen Noel team that was incredible. And I really wish Mike Hopkins would have been around or Lorenzo Romar would have coached them better. But, um, you know, Chris Peterson, the last time, you know, he was coaching, you know, he put out a winning uh, football program and, you know, it was, it was amazing to watch. But ever since uh, Peterson has left, you know, everything has just not gone uh, the Huskies way when it comes to football, 
uh, you know, Mike Hopkins, ever since that first season that he came in, you know, things have just not gone well for him. And, you know, I things about, Hop's, two, Hop's first two years were great. Okay, so, okay, I will, I will give the, I will give the second year. Yeah, you, 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 I, you got a point. You got a point there. Yeah, but things because that was the, year won the conference and got to the hmm. uh, the tournament. Okay, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. But uh, no, things have got to change for for the Huskies on. You know, it doesn't matter. Like I said, it doesn't matter if it's baseball, softball, football, basketball. Things have got to change, especially in the recruiting, because if you want these kids to come play for you, you can't just come out with a, with what Jimmy Lake says, saying, oh, these kids want to come play for us. They're going to want to come play for us. That's not going to work for you. That's absolutely not going to work for you because you need to try to conv- you need to t- you need to tell these kids what makes this program different to where they want to come play for you, to where they want to come uh, want to go to school there. You know, and it also has to do with academics as well. I mean, does UW have the academics to back up for these recruits? Absolutely. They've got top 10 academics nationally. The the biggest thing, and it all I feel like everything lives and dies by the football team because that's that's what all, all of, like, college basketball uh, on the men's side especially, like, is a kind of like a 1B, but mm. football is the powerhouse that will run every school for the rest of time. Yeah. And I think that, uh, and so this is all going to start start and live and die with Kalen DeBoer. I, from kids that I've talked to that are considering Washington, they all have nothing but great things to say about DeBoer, about his staff as a whole. And I want to give a personal shout out to who I think is just far and away the best coach, best recruiter, whatever you want to call it on the staff, the wide receivers coach, Jamarcus Shepard. He is Fantastic. A little, little side note. I, one of the practices this year, he was, um, he was available to the media and we're just all standing in the end zone. And I swear it took me 15 minutes just to ask this guy a question because everything he said, everything he did was the most engaging, most amazing thing I have ever seen. Like he's just standing there with the biggest smile on his face, tons of energy, like giving the best answers possible to every single question. And I'm just like, uh, dude, I played intramural like cornerback when I was in college. Can I, can 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 I play for you? Like, you're you're amazing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right, that is going to do it for this uh, Husky segment. Before I, if, you know what, I completely forgot to ask K Hart this. I need to DM him this, but um, so there. So we uh, we put out a poll question out on Twitter. And I thought it was funny. One of the admins posted it, and he was uh, posting about Avatar. But if uh, they said that if you had if you had an element bending ability, what element would you choose? And I'm not gonna lie, I would want fire. I would want to be a firebender. So when you said that question, that was the first answer that popped in my mind. I was like, I think fire. That, that, I think that's the way to go. Right now, I, I want to go ahead and look at the poll real quick. I want to see where the poll is because um, you can go ahead and uh, I don't know if you have Twitter, dude. Oh, I do. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so you can go ahead and look at it, uh, see Sport Diaries. And uh, so let's see, where is the poll at right now? Who is leading the way? So right now it's a dead, it's it's a tie between water and earth. Ooh, interesting. I didn't, I didn't think, I didn't think water and earth would actually get tied. That's, That's just, I see, I, I, I can, I can see where like water comes from, but earth, mm-hmm. I don't. I feel like that might be the last of, of my choices. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I agree 100%. But, um, uh, Roman, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Um, I, I appreciate Mike from uh, for texting you. 
he texted you my number. So anytime you want to come back on the podcast, talk some dogs, man, uh, uh, send me a text, brother. Yeah, I'd be happy to. All right, brother. Yeah, you have a good night, man. Appreciate it, man. You too. And there you go, Roman uh, from uh, Talking Dog uh, from RealDogs.com. Uh, this uh, segment in this podcast will be available out there uh, here in a couple days. But uh, that is going to do it for this episode of Seattle Sports Diaries. We're going to be back next Friday. And uh, just uh, like I said, if you guys have not tuned into the movie commentary channel, by the way, if you guys have not tuned into the movie commentary channel, BS Commentaries, uh, be sure to uh, subscribe on YouTube, follow us on Apple and Spotify and Google Podcast. Uh, we put out a podcast every Thursday. And of course, uh, be sure to follow us on uh, on Twitter, uh, C-Sport Diaries. Uh, the, the Twitter account is uh, right there, as you can see. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the, the YouTube channel and everything. And uh, uh, yeah, to, uh, be sure to uh, follow us as well on uh, every uh, Apple, Google, and Spotify. So uh, have a good night, folks.